A young lady comes to the physician with six weeks of dyspnea and fatigue. She has no past medical history. She takes no medications. She doesn't use any illicit substances or tobacco or alcohol. There's no family history of asthma or blood disorders. Her blood pressure is normal. Pulse is normal. Respirations are normal. Physical exam shows a pale young woman with scleral icterus, mild jaundice, and a big-ass spleen, a.k.a. splenomegaly. Lab results are notable for anemia with a hematocrit of only 20%, normal leukocytes, normal platelets, elevated total bilirubin, uh, mostly indirect bilirubin, uh, elevated lactate dehydrogenase, normal serum haptoglobin, and increased reticulocyte count. The peripheral blood smear shows spherocytes with no central pallor. The direct Coombs test is positive. Based on these findings, which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? VZ autoimmune hemolytic anemia. You are uh, you're pretty darn good. So now, this causes us to have discussion about the causes of hemolysis. There are two broad categories one being intravascular hemolysis and the other being extravascular hemolysis. Intravascular hemolysis is caused by conditions like microangiopathic hemolytic anemia, uh, such as in DIC. Intravascular hemolysis can also be caused by transfusion reactions. It can be caused by infections, such as clostridial sepsis. Intravascular hemolysis can be caused by paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria and IV rho gamma uh, immunoglobulin infusion, or rho D, I think that's rho gamma, shit, I don't know. Es extravascular hemolysis is the other broad category. It can be caused by intrinsic red blood cell enzyme deficiencies, such as G6PD. Extravascular hemolysis can be caused by hemoglobinopathies, such as sickle cell or thalassemia. It can be caused by membrane defects including hereditary spherocytosis. Extravascular hemolysis can also be caused by hypersplenism and IVIG infusion. Extravascular hemolysis can also be caused by warm or cold agglutinin autoimmune hemolytic anemia, which is responsible for most cases of extravascular hemolysis. And it can also be caused by infections such as Bartonella or malaria. So with our patient, uh, her pallor, jaundice, splenomegaly, and lab findings are consistent with a hemolytic anemia. The most likely diagnosis is autoimmune hemolytic anemia, which is due to autoantibodies to red blood cells. Hemolysis can occur intra- or extravascularly. Intravascular hemolysis is due to significant red blood cell structural damage resulting in red blood cell destruction within the intravascular space such as with paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, or DIC. The hemoglobin released from hemolyzed red blood cells binds to haptoglobin, and the hemoglobin-haptoglobin complex is cleared by the liver. This leads to a markedly reduced serum haptoglobin. The haptoglobin, in this case, goes down to undetectable levels. So, to repeat that, the hemoglobin released from the hemolyzed red blood cells binds to haptoglobin, and the hemoglobin-haptoglobin complex is cleared by the liver. 
This leads to markedly reduced serum haptoglobin, goes down to undetectable levels. Red blood cell hemolysis also results in elevated indirect bilirubin levels from heme breakdown and increased lactate dehydrogenase levels released from red blood cells. In extravascular hemolysis, the red blood cells are predominantly destroyed by phagocytes in the reticuloendothelial system, such as in the lymph nodes and spleen. As a result, there is less hemoglobin release than in intravascular hemolysis, so lab results usually show normal to slightly low haptoglobin, slightly elevated LDH, and elevated indirect bilirubin. So with extravascular hemolysis, we have a usually normal to slightly low haptoglobin, slightly elevated lactate dehydrogenase, and an elevated indirect bilirubin. Extravascular hemolysis can be due to causes such as antibody-mediated red blood cell destruction. Uh, in most cases, this is what occurs. Uh, so to repeat that, extravascular hemolysis can be due to causes such as antibody-mediated red blood cell destruction, accounting for most cases of autoimmune hemolytic anemia, or intrinsic red blood cell enzyme defects like glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency, or membrane defects such as hereditary spherocytosis. This patient's lab findings including anemia, indirect hyperbilirubinemia, low to normal haptoglobin, and slightly elevated LDH all suggest extravascular hemolysis. Her peripheral smear shows spherocytes without central pallor. These findings can be seen in autoimmune hemolytic anemia as well as in hereditary spherocytosis. Autoimmune hemolytic anemia usually has a negative family history and a positive Coombs test. Hereditary spherocytosis usually has a strong family history and a negative Coombs test. If the Coombs test is negative and there's still a high index of suspicion for autoimmune hemolytic anemia, micro Coombs tests can be performed to complete the diagnosis. This patient most likely has warm agglutinin, aka IgG autoantibody-mediated autoimmune hemolytic anemia from an autoimmune cause. Autoimmune hemolytic anemia usually causes extravascular hemolysis, although some degree of intravascular hemolysis can occur, especially with IgM-mediated autoimmune hemolytic anemia. So the educational objective in this question was that autoimmune hemolytic anemia and hereditary spherocytosis can cause extravascular hemolytic anemia. A negative family history and positive Coombs tests suggest autoimmune hemolytic anemia, whereas a positive family history and a negative Coombs test suggest hereditary spherocytosis. The peripheral blood smear in both conditions may show spherocytes without central pallor.